0: Why Why the year of the Bible for our church? Well, I know in my own life, I am the best husband, the best disciple, the best pastor, the best employee, so to speak, the best friend. I am uh, the best version of myself, so to speak, when I am faithfully in the word of God and I have regular habits of spending significant amount of time in the word of God. Like, if there's times where I've set where I'm going to spend an hour in Scripture every day, it's funny, all the things that we waste so much energy and focus on trying to New Year's resolution, where we're going, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to change this, and I'm going to be a better this, and I'm going to stop doing that, and I'm going to start doing this. I've found that all those things that we want to change... If we just focus on the keystone habit of prioritizing the Word of God in our lives, we will see the fruit of that in all areas of our lives because the Holy Spirit works through God's Word to bring about transformation in our lives. The Holy Spirit illuminates Scripture to where we can understand, where we can believe. Um, the Holy Spirit changes our hearts, brings us to faith as we read scripture. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. And so we even come to faith in Jesus Christ from the word of God. And so the, the, the word is, is so, so important. We also know there's been studies that have shown that the number one primary catalyst for helping people grow and mature from immature to mature and more mature believers The number one element is people reading and studying and mulling over, meditating on Scripture regularly. You want to grow in your faith, grow in your relationship with God, grow closer to the Lord, get into the Word. And now, how many of you guys have ever received a love letter? Whether that was a written letter, nice, good. Uh, Only one of us is loved here today, I suppose, I guess. (laughs) Okay, let me rephrase that. How many of you have ever received correspondence from someone you liked or were crushing on or was interested in, hoping you were going to get closer to them? Okay, a few more. Hopefully, like a lot of us, if not all of us, okay, most of us. You know, when you get a Facebook message or a text message or a written letter, whatever it might be, from someone that you like or you're crushing on, or that you're interested in getting closer to, when you get that correspondence, you don't just read it and go, oh, that was nice, and then put it away. You handle that correspondence significantly different, right? You're, you're diagnosing, you're diagramming, dissecting, whatever die, I guess. You're tearing these sentences apart. You're trying to, as best as you can, amen, understand the heart of the person who's communicating to you. You're going, now, Now, why did they say they like me? When they said they liked me, did they mean that they like me or that they like me like me? <laughs> now, why did they put like dot, 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 dot here? Because I feel like two dots would have been sufficient. Are they trying to say something with the four dots there? And they really, I wonder why they... You want to study it, you you want to understand the nuance of every word they chose, everything that they said, because you're trying to understand how they feel about you. And you're trying to get to know this person better. It's, it's, It's enthralling. You want to dig into it and you want to. No one's telling you, you know, you better read that again. You want to. You spend time in it because you're hopeful of what that person will be to you. And I love to present the Word of God in a sense as God's love letter to us, where this is available to us, where it is God's self-revelation. He has revealed Himself to mankind many ways, like creation. Romans tells us that God has revealed Himself through creation. But one of the primary and most important ways that God has revealed Himself to us is through His Word. And like the person who's got that love letter, we ought to be going, man, What does this mean? Why do they say that? I wonder why it says it that way. Why did they just dig into it because of the wealth of knowledge of God that is available to us? So this year, as we focus on Scripture, where we're going through the whole Bible as a church family in a year, we're preaching on what we read that week. As we do this, let's take it as an opportunity not to simply grow in our knowledge, because knowledge puffs up, but to grow In our knowledge in a way that serves us getting closer to the Lord. To where we're knowing him better. Where we feel like we're getting closer to him and thereby are being changed from glory to glory. Where we're being matured and grown in our relationship with God the Lord. As we begin today, I want to cover four very briefly, very quickly. I don't have enough time to give as much time to this as I I would like, but four primary doctrines on scripture. We have the doctrine of inspiration, the doctrine of inerrancy, the doctrine of authority, and the doctrine of sufficiency. Doctrine is simply the word that we use to say, we believe this about something. We have the doctrine, for example, the doctrine of inspiration comes out of the main text we're going to be in today, 2 Timothy chapter 3, but the doctrine of inspiration is saying that all scripture, Genesis to Revelation, was inspired... By God, meaning the authors, whether it was Moses writing the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, whether it was David and Psalms or Solomon or the prophets or Matthew, Mark, Luke and John or Paul writing all of his epistles or the apostles that wrote the other epistles like Jude and um, whomever it was, the authors that wrote Scripture didn't write Scripture simply on their own intuition on their own feelings. They wrote what they wrote as the Holy Spirit guided them. Therefore, every word of scripture is exactly what God wanted them to write. All scripture is inspired or breathed out by God. This doesn't mean that the authors grabbed a pen and then God took them over and they were like Ugh. and all of a sudden they they their hand just goes nuts writing what God wanted them to write and they come to and they're like, "Oh, whoa, what did you say, God?" God inspired and motivated the very intentions in their hearts and in their minds, which is why so much of Scripture is personal. You see Paul writing to churches he loved. And so you can see him saying things like, beloved, I wish this for you. We see John saying, "I beloved, I wish above all that you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. And so we can see communication from John, from Paul, from all these different authors to whom they were writing. But it was God who inspired those motives, those thoughts in their hearts and in their mind and ultimately inspired what very words they chose to write, which is why this is the Word of God. The doctrine of inerrancy flows from that, that if God meticulously orchestrated what was thought, what was intended, and what was written, then we can trust that Scripture also is without error. Now, today in 2022, wow, it's the first time i said that. In 2022 today, we have the ESV, the NLT, the NIV, the King James, the New King James, the HSB, the CSB, all the Bs. We have a ton of translations of the Bible, which is taken from scholars who have studied Hebrew and studied Greek and are experts in the ancient languages as well as in the ancient cultures and have done their best, trusting God to guide them to translate these Greek and Hebrew words and Aramaic into modern day English, where we can read the Bible, where we can study, where we can memorize, which is wonderful. The doctrine of inerrancy is not to say that each translation is without error, but that the original manuscripts, the original writings of the original authors are without error. Now, we can also trust that God is not going to go, okay, you write this, and now I hope it works out for 2,000 years, however long it ends up being. No, we believe that God superintended and guarded and managed the preservation of Scripture throughout history, so that we today could look at these 66 books, Genesis to Revelation, and trust that this was all inspired by God without error in the original writings, and we can trust it to be the, the Word of God. This leads to the third doctrine we're going to talk about, which is the authority of Scripture, that therefore, since Scripture was inspired by God without error, it is the authority for our lives, not our feelings. In the day and age where the world is telling us, follow your arrow wherever it points, or whatever you feel is right, whatever is true to you must be your truth. Scripture is the authority, not our feelings. Your feelings will lie to you all the time. Your, this is why Jeremiah said the heart is deceitful above all else. Who can know it? The heart is deceitful. Your heart will lie to you and trick you and tell you that good is bad and bad is good. Do we not see it everywhere in the world today? And so we don't go, what do I think about God? How do I feel about God? Do I think He's like this or like this? No, we go, Scripture says God's like this. Scripture is the authority. We have the authority of Scripture. And therefore, since Scripture is authoritative, it is also sufficient, meaning... Scripture is sufficient for everything we need to know about God. God is infinite and we are finite. So we cannot fathom the fullness of who God is. Psalms tells us, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. We could spend every minute for the rest of our lives studying Scripture and seeking out the knowledge of God and still just scratch the surface of who God is. God is unfathomable in uh, in all that he is, yet he has given us his word so that we could have a trustworthy source that is sufficient that we could confidently say, I have a source to know everything I need to know about God. Listen, external resources can be good and can be helpful. I love to read books and I love to listen to podcasts and I love to listen to sermons, but listen, scripture alone is sufficient as the authority in our life to teach us what we need to know about God. And it's important we understand that too, because every single person, me included, is flawed. And so I've got some things wrong. And you don't need to believe what you believe because Pastor Stephen said so. You need to believe what you believe because of what the Word of God says. And all of us are wrong about something. The hard part is that we don't know what we're wrong about. And so that's why we submit ourselves to Scripture and why we as a church family have one of our values on our wall is that we are willing to give up what we believe for the truth because Scripture defines truth, not our ideas. And so this year, as we're going through Scripture, you should have some of your beliefs challenged. I remember this foundation's Bible reading plan that we're doing, I remember our staff did it like four years ago and I remember going through it and reading a certain passage and I went, hang on. And I began wrestling with what I read. It was challenging my belief, my view about God in a certain aspect. And so I remember, I'll recall one more time, the conversation I had with one of my best friends in Bible school who came up to me and he came up to me with a particularly difficult passage, one that's not very palatable. And he read it, we read it together and he said, Stephen, how does this passage work with what we believe? And you've heard me say this before, that's the wrong question. The question is not, how does Scripture work with what we believe? The question is, how does what I believe work with Scripture? Because if one of them is wrong, it's me, not Scripture. Why? Because it was all inspired by God. It's without error. It is the authority, and it's sufficient. So we need the word of God. Let's go to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. The text we're going to be in today is very popular, very famous, especially around the conversation of the word of God. But 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to start reading in verse 1. This is what Paul wrote the apostle writing to his apprentice, the young pastor Timothy. Chapter 3 verse 1, he says this, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, For people will be lovers of self. Does that sound like 2022? Lovers of money. Does that sound like our world today? Proud. That's not us, huh? Yeah, it is. Arrogant. Abusive. Disobedient to their parents. Wow, that's an interesting one to slide into this list of really bad things. Ungrateful. Unholy. Heartless. Unappeasable. Slanderous. Without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Does that not sound like our world today? Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so then these also oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far for their folly will be plain to all, as was, those, as was that of those two men." Uh, Something to point out here and to think about this passage, Paul just goes through this laundry list of wickedness, this laundry list of evil. And he's talking about people that we're going to step back and we're going like, man, that sounds like terrible, ungodly, awful people. But if we read the rest of the context of this passage, we see he's actually talking about people that would be proposed as believers. Because they go into homes of sinful women and capture them with false theology, false doctrine. And then he goes on to say that they have an appearance of godliness, but denying its power. And he goes on uh, in verse 8, just as Janice and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. So it's obvious from the context here, again, context is important. That, yeah, of course, this is talking about people that don't even pretend to have a relationship with God. But there's also that of false teachers in this conversation. So we go on in verse 10. He says, you, however, Timothy, you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and at Iconium and at Lystra. Which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Why is it so important that we read the Word of God? Because we see verses like that. And when we live in a country where people are popularly preaching and telling you, follow Jesus and he's going to fix all your problems, then you see the Word of God where it actually says, actually, if you want to live a godly life and follow Jesus, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to go through hardship. In fact, Jesus said in John 16, in this world you will have tribulation. And he kept on going, but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. Scripture confronts all the ideologies of false doctrines, false teaching, false theology, false ideologies about God, about this world, about us, and it corrects them. Why do we need the word of God? So we can know the truth. So that when false ideas come out, we know the word of God and we can refute those ideas. This is why when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by Satan three times, Satan comes and tempts Jesus, and how does Jesus answer him? It is written. It is written. It is written. Did he pull out a scroll? Maybe, but we don't see from the account that he did. I don't think he was carrying scrolls on him. No, he knew the word of God. So when temptation came, strong temptation at his weakest moment when he'd been fasting and praying for 40 days. The tempter came and he said, no, 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 it is written. And I'd like to point out too that the tempter, the enemy, Satan, came and tempted him with Scripture taken out of its context. And Jesus answers erroneously used Scripture with rightfully used Scripture. We need the Word of God. Why the Year of the Bible? Because if we can be a people of the Word of God, we will be strong and ready for whatever may come. We need the Word of God. Where was I? Oh, yeah, all that came from talking about suffering in verse 11 and 12. Okay. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Yikes. But as for you, continue in what you have learned. Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. He's saying, but as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned, remembering from who you learned it. He's talking about possibly himself. You learned it from me, the Apostle Paul. But also then he talks about how from, from young age he was acquainted with the sacred writings. We know this because his grandmother and his mother, Lois Eunice were people of faith who raised him in godliness, raised him in Scripture. We can see this in the two letters that Paul wrote to Timothy. So he was acquainted with Scripture from a young age, and Paul's telling him, stay with what you have believed and have firmly held on to and from who you've believed it. He said, because it's able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And then here comes... The the haymaker, the popular verse, verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God. That's That's where we get the doctrine of the inspiration of scripture. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I'm going to read the next five verses in chapter four. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. Here we go. Preach the word. Not your opinion, Stephen. Not popular culture ideologies. Preach the word. Paul talking to the pastor, Timothy, says, I charge you. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. He's putting the fear of God in Timothy, saying, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead at his coming. Preach the word. Why the year of the Bible? For our church moving forward, we're going to preach the word. That's not to say we haven't preached the word or Derek didn't preach the word. He did. He did a great job. But as for us moving forward, we're going to continue to use the parameters that the word of God has to be central because it keeps us in the truth. And here, why does that matter? That it keeps us in the truth. Let's keep reading. Verse 2, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, like Jesus was when the tempter came. He was ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Here we go. Here's why we need it. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. This is the day we live in. Where people want to find someone to teach them what they want to hear. Rather than the hard, sometimes uncomfortable, sometimes confronting truth of scripture. He says they've wandered off into myths. They've wandered from the truth. He said there's coming a day, I believe it is now, when people don't tolerate sound doctrine anymore. They don't want to know what's the truth. They want to quantify it with their truth, my truth, your truth, based on our own feelings, our fallen sinful judgments of what's right and wrong. And when you are in the Word of God, when you're reading Scripture for yourself, the Word of God confronts you. And those sinful passions and desires that we have, that we long for, the Word of God says, no, no. That's not acceptable. That's not true. That's error. We need to refute that. We need to rebuke it. We need to repent. We need to turn from it into the truth. And if ever there's a day where we need to be putting the Word of God in us, looking at the landscape and looking at the temperature of our culture and looking at what's coming down the line, we will need the Word of God. You will need to have it in you. Because you never know when that temptation comes. You never know when that conversation's gonna come. You never know when you're gonna find yourself in a conversation where someone is telling someone something false, and you're sitting here going, oh, what was that thing that Pastor Stephen said that one time? No. When you know the word for yourself, you can say, actually, did you know that the Bible really says this? And so, if you believe in Scripture, that's actually not true. A few things that we see from this writing from Timothy or from Paul to Timothy that scripture does why it's valuable why we need it number 1 scripture teaches us it said it's profitable for teaching well what does it teach us i mean a lot <laughs> scripture teaches us a lot through these 66 volumes one it teaches us about god that's most important scripture teaches us about god listen our fallen minds should not be trusted to determine what's right and wrong about God. We need scripture to tell us the truth about God. Scripture teaches us about God, who he is, his character, his nature, his attributes, his values, what he loves, what he hates. And in a world where people are saying, yeah, I know the Bible said that, but it didn't really mean that because a loving God wouldn't xyz and and so we need to this is okay i know the bible says it's not okay but this is you know god's probably changed over time a common thing today is a a trajectory hermeneutic meaning interpreting scripture on a trajectory where it gets more soft and cozy and loving and tender the whole time and listen i don't say god absolutely is love but you don't realize how loving he is until you realize how bad his wrath is You don't realize how much he loves you until you see how much wrath he has against sin. And that if you're a sinner, that's bad news. And we're all sinners, so that's bad news for all of us. But the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that he took that cup of wrath on the cross for us. That we don't have to experience that and we get the love, the mercy, the grace of God. Because of what Jesus Christ accomplished for us. But scripture teaches us about God, who he is, what he loves, what he hates. And so when people try and tell us, you know, God's not like the God in the Old Testament anymore. Well, scripture teaches us that God is immutable. I am the Lord God. I change not. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, forever. So if you're trying to tell me God's different, scripture disagrees. So scripture teaches us about God. It is his self-revelation to us. Secondly, scripture teaches us what God does, what he has done, and what he will do. It tells us what he does, that the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives as believers today, giving us gifts so that we can be about his work in our lives, that we can be equipped for ministry as Paul told Timothy there that scripture is profitable for. We see that God is at work in our lives today. It tells us what God has done. Scripture tells us that God in the beginning created, that God made everything that we know. It tells us that God also cursed sin. It tells us that that this world that we're in right now That God had to curse it because Adam invited sin into that creation. It tells us what God will yet do. That he is coming back for a pure and spotless bride. And that we long for, eagerly look forward to that day with anxious hope. That we will one day be face to face with the God of all creation like the angels singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty with our minds blown, captivated and enamored with the beauty and splendor and majesty of the glory of Christ face to face. That when John saw it in the Isle of Patmos when he had the revelation, fell on his face like a dead man. We will be able to see that Jesus face to face. We know that that is what God will do. Scripture teaches us what God has done, what he's doing, and what he will yet do. Three, Scripture teaches us about this world. To every person who's going, man, what is wrong with people? Scripture tells us what's wrong with people. They're lovers of self rather than lovers of God. Ephesians 2 tells us that we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now is at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once walked, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace we have been saved. And so we look at the world and we go, oh, I get exactly why the world looks the way it does. Sin. It teaches us about this world for Scripture teaches us about who we are. Just opening up the book pretty quickly, we learn that we were created in the image of God, imago Dei, in the image of God. That we are all of us bearers of God's image. All of us, male, female, every race, every background, every ethnicity, all of us have equal value and worth before God as image bearers. Created in his image for his glory, for his purposes. We also see scripture teaches us that we are, even though in the image of God created perfect and flawless, that we are fallen in sin and need a savior. Scripture teaches us that when we are saved, we become new creations in Christ Jesus. Scripture teaches us that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that great exchange that he who knew no no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Scripture teaches us who we are, whether unrighteous or righteous. It tells us where we are, who we are, and it tells us what we need to know about ourselves. Five, scripture teaches us about our enemy. There is an adversary, the devil, who roams around as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. There is an enemy wanting to deceive us, wanting to tempt us, wanting to turn the affections of our hearts away from the Lord. And so we're mindful of that. Scripture teaches us that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and heavenly places. And so the people in the world that are ungodly, we don't see them as the enemy, that they are prisoners of the enemy. And so rather than just becoming angry at them, we become angry at the enemy that they are oppressed by, and we pray for their salvation. We learn about our enemy. So Scripture teaches us a lot. Secondly, Scripture rebukes and corrects us. Listen, as we're reading through the Bible this year, there's going to be plenty of times where you go, ouch. That is the rebuke of the Lord through the word of the Lord. But it isn't just rebuke, it comes with correction, which is the invitation of reconciliation. That conviction of the Holy Spirit saying, no, that's not okay. You see it in my word. I'm inviting you close, and you've got to get that out of your life. And so that's, you could be saying, well, why are you saying rebuke and correction? Well, they're they're different. They're not the same. They're relative. They're synonymous. But the, the rebuke is God saying, that's not okay, and calling us out. The correction is saying, now come back over here, my child. Come back close to me. Come back on my path, my ways, trusting my thoughts in ways that are higher than yours. Next, Scripture trains us in righteousness. Paul told Timothy, listen, the moment you became a Christian, the moment that you were born again with faith in Jesus Christ, confessing your sin, repenting of it, and turning to faith in Christ, that moment you became righteous positionally you are right before god you are in right standing meaning when god looks at us sinners he doesn't see sinners he sees righteous people who are forgiven by his grace which is great news positionally in an instant you became righteous the challenge is that you are not yet functionally righteous we can be positionally righteous the function needs to get in line with the position An example of this, and I've used this many times, but December 1st, 2016, I became a father. Marley was born and I became a dad. Does that mean December 1st, 2016, I am super dad, know everything about being a father and I'm an expert at it? No. I had a lot to learn, still have a lot to learn five years in. I have been learning. I have had to apologize to my daughters before for doing a bad job. I've had to say, Marley, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to hurt you. Or, I'm sorry, Dad was angry and should not have responded that way. I'm still growing and learning how to be what I became in an instant. When you become a Christian, you become righteous and then begins the process of sanctification whereby the Holy Spirit works with the Word of God to correct us into looking more and more like Christ. And that comes by the more we look at Jesus, the more we look like Jesus. And so scripture trains us in righteousness, teaches us what we are not to do, teaches us what we are to do, trains us in righteousness. And finally, also scripture equips us for ministry. Paul told Timothy, he said, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, Time is up, and I'm going to rattle through some things really quick. These few small guides, as we get into Scripture, as we read the Bible more and more, number one, we must read Scripture prayerfully. There are many, 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 many people in this world who read the Bible, study it, are scholars and theologians and experts that don't even know the Lord. We must read prayerfully. Jesus told his, his disciples, I'd encourage you on your own time, read John 14, where Jesus said, it's better for you that I leave because then the Helper can come. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, who will guide you into all truth, will bring all these things that I've said to you back to your remembrance. We need the Holy Spirit as we read Scripture. It is the Holy Spirit who illuminates Scripture for us. It is the Holy Spirit who guards us from error. It is the Holy Spirit who teaches us and sanctifies us and works in us as we read the Word of God. It is the Spirit of God that works with the Word of God. We must read prayerfully. We must read Scripture patiently. Listen, if this is your first time reading through the Bible, there's going to be plenty of, wait, what? I mean, plenty of times that you read things and you you go, wait, he did what to who? Listen, it's gonna take the rest of your life to grow in your knowledge, grow in your understanding, more and more and more. You can read the Bible five thousand times in the rest of your life and still have more to learn, still have more to understand, more to grow in. This is a lifelong task. Remembering the apostle Paul said, "I have not achieved, I have not attained." But that one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, I press on towards the mark, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. If Paul ain't got it, we ain't got it, and there's more to grow and more to learn. So be patient. Accept the fact that you're not going to get it all right away. Accept that you're going to get through round one or round round 20, whatever round of reading through Scripture you might be on, and there's going to be things that you just have to go, "Ah, I don't fully get that yet, but that's okay. God does. And he has made it clear the things that I need to know. And finally, we must read scripture responsibly. We must read scripture responsibly. That word you heard me say a few times, that you hear me say a lot, that I'm going to keep on saying over and over, context is king. Context determines the meaning of words, the meaning of sentences, the meaning of paragraphs, the meaning of literary units. Context is important. That's the, the easy example is the Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That doesn't mean I can pass my test through Christ who strengthens me. I can get that new job through Christ who strengthens me. When you put it in context and read all the Philippians chapter four, you see the apostle Paul is saying, I've been rich, I've been poor, I've abounded, I've abased, I've been through good times and bad times essentially, and I've learned in whatever state I'm in to be content. I can do all these things through Christ who strengthens me. It doesn't mean I can just do anything because Jesus gives me super strength. It means that I can enjoy Christ in the good times and I can enjoy Christ in the bad times. I can do it all because Jesus Christ gives me strength. Context. We read responsibly because I can take you to Jeremiah 25 where it says, thus saith the Lord, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of Israel's armies, drink, be drunk, and vomit. And Wisconsinites said, there's my verse. (laughs) You can go, I'm standing on the promise of the Lord, brother. (laughs) That's irresponsible. Because responsibly reading would read it in its entire context. And you'd see Jeremiah 25 is a condemnation, a judgment on the sin of the nation of Israel. And so we read verses in their context to understand what they mean, to understand what the words mean. Let's read responsibly. Don't just read whatever verse you see all by itself and just go, oh, that's my promise for me that I'm standing on. Ask yourself, is that what that verse really means? In light of the entire literary unit that I just read, keep it in context. Ultimately, it's most important that our heart and our goal and this, is to know God. Not to just know more about Scripture, not just to know more theology and more doctrine, which are good things, but to know God. The Word of God is meant to lend to knowing God. And I pray and I hope that that is what our church family experiences and grows in, is the knowledge of God that leads to deeper relationship with God. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is inspired, that it is inerrant, that it is authoritative, that it is sufficient, that you have given us everything we need to know about you in your word. And I ask that your Holy Spirit would guide all of our church family as we read through scripture, that that we would see the truth, that we would be guarded from error, and that we would not fall into the errors of not living it out and not applying it, not walking it out, deceiving ourselves, as James said. But we would be the wise man that Jesus talks about that hears his word and does it, having our house built on the rock. God, help us to know you, to see the truth, to walk in light of the truth, and to live in a way that pleases you, that you would change our hearts. And God, I pray that as people are reading scripture, that you would sovereignly save them That as people come to faith, that as people are reading scripture, that you would open their eyes, that they would come to faith in Jesus Christ and be saved just by reading their Bibles. Your word has the power to do it through your Holy Spirit, God, so I ask you to do it. For their good and for the glory of your name, in Jesus' name, amen.